Hey listeners, I'm Trey. And this is Dean. Along with EY. Welcome to Pocast. Reviewing films with New Orleans flavor. I do not have something to start with. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it's it's a hard one. Uh, That's what she said. Name your sex tape. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to replace That's What She Said with name of your sex tape okay is that from something or is that just a trend you're trying to start no it's from brooklyn 99 because okay apparently that's what she said is offensive so i'm trying to be more politically correct in my sexual innuendo i i was gonna guess that's where it was from because that's all you've been posting about i mean i've been watching it I I figured. I hope it's more cheerful than the pharmacist. Um, um that's not a high bar. <laughs> no, not at all. A 2020 yeah, documentary. 2020. Okay, so it came out in 2020. It's about a father who lost their son who was shot buying was it crack or yeah, heroin? I think I think it was. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I don't know what the difference is between crack and heroin, but I think I think they said it was heroin. That he was okay. To buy. And that uh, happened in, in in New Orleans. They were living in uh, Saint Bernard Parish, mm-hmm. I believe, in Chalmette. But he was buying in uh, the New Orleans Ninth Ward. Our first documentary that we're reviewing, it was rough. It was emotional. The first episode it starts with kind of the death of his son, and focused a lot on just kind of the the family in general and and what they maybe could have done to change things if they noticed the signs they paid more attention you know i I think what a lot of people do during grief or while they're grieving play a lot of what ifs and then the the rest of the series the other three episodes i think are kind of like this i mean i don't even want to say borderline but obsessive it was kind of a crusade you know that he was going yeah. going against trying to you know stamp out this budding opioid addiction that was in his community and not only just an opioid problem within his community it was the biggest if i if i'm remembering correctly and i hate if we get any of this wrong but it was like the biggest death ratio in all of the united states well, it was the very beginning Do, of the opioid crisis. It was yeah. before this was even being really looked at or taken seriously. Like he was one of, I don't want to say he was the first, cause I don't actually know if he was the first, but he's definitely one of the earliest people to really look at this and see the, you know, the growing problem and bring attention to it. To kind of go back. So it's, it's about the death of his son. And then that leads him down the path of discovering kind of just the addiction to uh it was oxycotton yeah within his community because he is a pharmacist the father was a pharmacist uh and noticed that all these prescriptions were getting filmed out filled out for for oxycotton and because of his son's death he kind of brought it upon himself to well if he couldn't save his son he could at least save others that are, are kind of going down the same path. And it, it focuses on the community aspect, but they really target this doctor who is writing 
they said in one year she wrote like 175,000 prescriptions. Yeah, and took uh, for home like Oxycontin. two million. Yeah, and, and it was estimated. Like, what the hell? Yeah, which is outrageous. And it was like this. And I, I should have pulled up. Her I am name. in the what was... wrong. Dis- I am in the wrong business. Uh, <laughs> no, her name was Doctor Cleggett. Dr. Yeah. Jacqueline Cleggett, and his name was Dan something. Dan Schneider. Dan Schneider. So it's kind of like this guy, and obviously because of like the, the death of his son, pretty much goes down this like semi-dark slash obsessive path to pin this doctor. And then, you know, it, throughout the documentary, they, they build this lady up, and she's pretty much the source of of everything within this community um with all these prescription pills and and she's running this seedy uh doctor's office that's only open like after hours and she's writing um, like 75 prescriptions for it like a day like the line for it is like around the block cash only and and i mean i do have to say i appreciate and it's probably because Dan Schneider was so obsessive about this that he recorded everything and videotaped everything. And I think maybe if this documentary didn't have that, it would have been a lot different. But they play like a lot of different audio from discussions he recorded through um, additions to like videotaping. Like, you know, they show the doctor's office around this time. Like at this point, you know, it's a few years after his son's death early 2000s before Katrina and they show actual like videotape of like people waiting in line outside this doctor's office at like two o'clock in the morning to to yeah to to buy pills yeah and what's Um, what's scary about it is like like yes you were saying it was like oh yeah it's a doctor's office that shouldn't be sketch you know like even Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like a low-income area doctor's office, you know, still shouldn't be, like, sketchy. But, like, there's even a video where he was, you know, he was essentially doing, like, stakeouts of the doctor's office and taking yeah. a video. And one of them, they start chasing him. But, you know, something like that, like, it definitely raises a lot of red flags. I think even one of the videos, like, he has a video of the doctor, like, getting out of her car and going to the office with, like, this giant revolver in her hand. Or yeah, something. it looked I, like that, but it I mean, was, it, yeah, it was scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. They definitely. It kind of throws a lot at you because you're, you know, they. The main focus of the first episode is kind of the grief process through the death of of his son, but then after that, it's like you know he's going after the doctor, and then they're throwing in the kind of corruption with the NOPD especially during that time and, and how and they just didn't really care no and then no. even that the nopd not as a whole but certain officers were involved in in kind of this this whole operation yeah then you had like all his conversations with the the government like the da and the fbi and and the whole process of them doing their own investigations but him kind of not expecting more wanting rightfully so i think to an extent i you know wanting answers wanting to know why they haven't stopped this doctor and then i think how it all comes to to comes together at the end 
where this doctor, uh, Dr. Cleggett, writes a prescription to like a 16 year old and has like, I don't know, four or five different like narcotic, I don't know what you would describe them as, but like Oxycontin mm-hmm. and like four or five other drugs that are like just a concoction of, of if you want to have an overdose. And that's kind of like the, the thing that sets everything in motion. Yeah, I think they this... called that the smoking gun. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the phrase they use, the smoking gun. That finally, like, pushed everyone to um, to finally do something. Yeah. To, but you to... also, you know, even, even just with that, like, all of the work that Dan Schneider did, like, that's where the credit has to go, honestly. Oh, had yeah. He, had he not, like, throughout the entire... Throughout the entire documentary, I don't think there was, of the four episodes, I don't think they ever didn't refer to him and what he was doing as obsessive. And it was. It absolutely was. But because of that, he had, like you said, hours of phone calls, hours of video, just every everything they needed to build that case, he had. Honestly, with no actual expectation that it would come together, because the authorities were dragging their feet on it. Uh, best case scenario mm-hmm. is they were just dragging their feet. So there was no like reliable, foreseeable outcome that it was actually going to be worth anything, that he was actually going to succeed, and then he did. So, you know, whereas had he done this without all those recordings, he would have literally just been some crazy conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah, I think, and, and I think it's like the last episode where... And they don't go into too much detail about the whole court process, but I think he states like he was essentially their star witness yeah. because he has like these like at this point years worth of of documentation from recorded phone calls to videotaped evidence to notes. I mean, it's very clear that it's it's a borderline. While he was trying to do good and and did do good. It's very, it could be a dark path. And, and they mm-hmm. touch on it briefly with how it's affecting his wife and his daughter and, and their relationship. And I mean, I, I, can, I can't even imagine the, the, the process of, of any of this, of, you know, losing your, your son or, or daughter and then being so grief stricken that you your way to cope is essentially you know i couldn't save them who else can i save and then having to go through the the bureaucracy of our government um, or even just like working up the nerve to like stake out a place like yeah can I you mean, like can you imagine for even the the most just of causes that you truly believe in could you ey imagine sitting outside in your car videotaping something for like six hours at night no yeah no, like that's what i i would was, do that that's why i'm not a cop just, <laughs> it was hard to just grasp like the mentality of of being in such a dark place like that's where you have to go to and you know you mentioned the the part where he was being followed i mean he drove to the fbi office here in new orleans and and was like you need to send someone out because i'm being followed like they're here in the parking lot like you need to send an agent or someone out here to help me because i'm being tailed in all this and and probably from 
the government side of it and just some of the phone calls that were recorded and and played in the, throughout the documentary you know i could see it from the other side too of like okay this guy is is annoying yeah this guy is crazy like i guarantee he, you some of the people that like in the documentary was like oh he was great he did all the stuff were the same ones that were on the other end of the phone it was like this motherfucker <laughs> i mean they kind of have parts where they they admit that yeah. that it was just like you know, it, it just, it is what it is. The government has a process. The DA has a process. The FBI has a process. And, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, well, you're saying that, like, that they have a pro. I'm not arguing with you. I'm arguing just with the idea oh, that yeah, they have yeah. a process, but it clearly doesn't work. Oh, no, because, I mean, I mean, just throughout the documentary, his son died in, like, 99. And then a year or so later is when he kind of started realizing the more drug abuse side of, of everything and what's yeah, happening but, in his community. But even and this with... goes through 2005, you know, they even touch on Katrina and stuff like that. I mean, that's a long time to, to be just so relentless. And that's what it just, me personally, it's, and I'm sure it's until you actually go through it, it's such a, it's so hard to grasp. Like, but it to was be... that, like, it was that relentlessness that, like, in the beginning is what, like, found the murderer of his son. Like, the cops were just oh, like, yeah, oh, it's yeah. a oh, it's a drug death, whatever, they don't really care. And it was, like, him and his family and members of the community, and even members of the community of the Ninth Ward joined him on mm -hmm. this, in literally canvassing the entire area, like, putting up flyers, going door to door, asking people. That finally got them a witness to the murder. You know that put the murderer away so well yeah. i mean not even that it was the witness to the murder was the murderer who led to another witness it, it was so you know i we did four hours of content is is a lot to go into but i mean it was just baffling what what this guy had to go through to even to find his son's murderer and like you said and and that wasn't just because of his son, I mean, it was everyone who was dying in the Ninth Ward getting shot or, or gang or drug-related violence. Like, that's what it was. And that was it. There was no any sort of care from the, the NOPD. And, and uh, you know, I can't speak for now and days. But, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine just having my someone that I know or my family member to just be brushed off as a statistic. And and that's it. And you have to let it go. And nothing's ever going to come from it. And I and just... that's a it's a ter <laughs> I mean, it, you're right. It's a terrible thing to even try to imagine. But like so many people and families go through that every day because of mm -hmm. these exact things that their death is just brushed off as a statistic as, oh, there's just another suicide to depression or another drug overdose or just another mugging gone wrong like it's it happens every day whatever the authorities don't care and I'm not, I'm not trying to you know have this argument where you know i'm not trying to do a cab or anything but you know there are authorities that clearly they they don't care and because of that people like dan schneider have to stand up and like, that's the thing, you know, speaking as someone who loves superhero stuff, love Daredevil, one of the best series Netflix has put out, but, like, real-life vigilante justice is kind of what Dan Schneider did. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. That's know? a good way to, to put it. I mean, and that's, yeah, I, he I was, think that perfectly like he sums was, up. He was a big, fat, old guy, <laughs> yeah. pharmacist nerd, yeah. Yeah. with a recorder and a can and a camera. Like you know, he wasn't gifted with enhanced hearing and senses jumping off rooftops. No, and and I mean, you mentioned earlier that one of the you know the community was getting together to help them, and and one of the people that helped in the beginning was the local um, pastor Mm -hmm. who really wanted to just be by his side so he wouldn't get shot. Yeah. He was just, I mean, they flat out say, you know, uh, a white guy walking around the ninth ward asking questions and and things like that. Like this guy is going to get killed. Yeah. And what, Uh, what was Dan Schneider's response to that? He was like having black people with him made him feel safe and gave him a credibility. Like, (laughs) I mean, that's what the pastor came out and said. Yeah, it was, it's the truth. Kept waiting. For something in the documentary to 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 say that he was assaulted or, or shot at or something like that, and it never got that extreme. But Thankfully. I think the, the biggest issues that he faced, you know, the the girl who witnessed the actual murder says, you know, you you can't be a snitch. Snitches get stitches. Yeah, I mean that's just the like rule that was the, the whole reason that he wasn't able to find answers and it it took so long and it wasn't until the reward went up to like what was it $10,000 for any information that people actually started talking I'm all be because honest, of money. I'm I I I would have jumped at it way lower, like 5,000. I were like five thousand dollars. I'll tell you who did it. I'll even plant the evidence just to make it look good. Yeah, I just it it was an intense, uh, intense documentary, and and yeah, I just feel like there's there's so much to talk about. And then throughout the whole documentary, I think from episode one onward, they talk about Doctor Cleggett. Yeah, and she was so hyped up, and when she finally comes in. At the final episode, Mm -hmm. like I was like, I was hyped, man. I was like, oh my god, they got her, and I, I'm pretty sure she she didn't go to jail or anything. No, no, and she had her license revoked. She, um, she got in a real bad car accident before because she was originally going to be charged with like 37 counts of something, and um, because of the car accident, who that rendered her, um, not disabled but definitely had some health issues um because when she finally you know you see her in the documentary um she's you know slurring her speech and and definitely has some uh signs of trauma and probably i I wondered about that yes i was wondering about that if like that was because of drug use or the car accident or well because she was not all there no i mean no surprise they, you know, they even say that she was abusing Oxycontin, too. So I'm sure it was a combination of the car accident and the however many years of, of drug addiction. Because, uh, yeah, she's definitely out of it and, and denies a couple yeah. of, you know, she's not in it for long. Um, but the parts that she's in it, it's kind of like, I don't remember or who are you talking? You know, they yeah, ask she says her, like, no, I never hurt anyone i never did that no one was ever yeah you know, like, addicted to my prescriptions like completely just 100 percent denial oh yeah yeah and it's not surprising at all like the way they talk about this lady for three hours 
through this whole documentary, and when she finally shows up, she's kind of exactly what you expect. Yeah. Uh, that's someone who would be doing all of this. You know, I watched this when it came out, and then looking at it again to talk about, there is an aspect I started to really think about. You know, I'm not trying to justify, you know, opioids or addiction or what she did, but at the same time, like how many. Yes, the the chances that the majority of the people she was writing prescriptions for were abusing drugs and dealing with addiction, you know, not trying to to slam people who are dealing with addiction, but at the same time, I also wonder how many people who are going to see her were actually in like in need of that medication. Yeah. You know? And I, I they kind of touch on that. And, you know, Dan Schneider kind of goes through that a lot because he works at a a pharmacy yeah. where, you know, he doesn't own the pharmacy. He works for someone, you know, under them. And he's kind of going through the same thing of like, he can't deny these people their prescriptions, but he does try to to make them aware of it. And I think from my understanding, because the only information that I have in regards to to any of this is specifically from the documentary is that even if you did need it like you legit needed the prescription it could still lead to addiction because of just the the effects of i'm sure a lot of pain medication is still somewhat like this you know you keep taking it you keep taking it and eventually the pain doesn't go away yeah and then you need something more and more and more but by the looks of her her doctor's office or or her clinic clinic um considering that it was open overnight and cash only yeah there's there's no legit doctor's (laughs) office that is open like past 3 p.m no they were even you know they were talking about people waiting days to to get their prescription written because it was just so many people you know one of the people they interview who kind of help Stan Schneider at some point get more information about this doctor as this other gentleman who said he waited like upwards to 12 hours to just get the prescription and that it wasn't uncommon for people who already got their prescription to come back in and start selling to people who were still waiting like so, come on guys it's 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 drugs not an iPhone like you don't have to wait that long I hey <laughs> just <laughs> Ooh, you're such such a touchy subject. <laughs> yeah, I just, I mean, it, it was crazy to see. And then it really just all comes crashing down because she happens to write this prescription to a uh, an underage girl for an absurd amount of drugs. And uh, what he reports it, I think, to the medical board at this point, because a similar story came out in another state and he he called that reporter to kind of ask like what was it that that brought this other person down the guy was like you know really you need to be reporting all of this to the local medical board Mm -hmm. and yeah and then you kind of have the the smoking gun moment and after that um yeah I, you know, she gets her what she deserves and, um, yeah, loses her license. The clinic is shut down. Mm-hmm. Gets, I think it was like over a million dollar fine. Like you almost felt bad for her. Almost. Very I almost. didn't. 
Like I didn't. <laughs> like not I mean... in the way that I was like, oh, but like, because like when you when you do see her, you know, she's she's kind of pitiful. Oh yeah, at that you know? point, like yeah, like after car accident. And... Yeah, I mean, not, yeah, I'm not saying like of... I empathize with her or anything, but it's like it's like when you see Voldemort at the end of Harry like, Potter. Yeah, at the whenever whenever Harry goes to like the the yeah the King's train Cross station, station King's Cross, yeah. and you see like the like the pathetic mm-hmm. like shriveled body of Voldemort, like that's what that was like. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you make that connection because i was gonna kind of go with frodo pitying Gollum. yeah same Um, thing yeah it's yeah when you finally see her she's just she's obviously uh again whether it's from the the car accident or the drug usage shell of her former self but i also feel like after all of that you know it's hard to pin overdose deaths on the doctor who who prescribed the pills but i mean when you realistically think about it she had to be responsible for a lot of people's addictions and a lot of people's overdoses and a lot of people's deaths and for her to not even serve any time um only you know go down from 37 counts of of whatever it was to one and and be on probation and yeah you know she loses her medical license but i you know stuff like that is i mean when they interviewed her it wasn't like from a prison cell or it wasn't from you know no. living on the street she had her little apartment she had her life and you well almost it's don't almost want her to have that yeah that's what i'm saying i'm like like how much like she again was the cause of one of the top like I don't know how you want to describe it, like opioid crisis percentage, whatever, um, in the nation is this, you know, little parish outside of New Orleans. It's crazy to to think about that. And yeah, for her to be, I'm almost positive they interview those people at the Windsor Court Hotel. I could be wrong, but... Those rooms looked really familiar. It's just something. Was there I was there a giant shit stain on the fan? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Oh boy. Now I I love documentaries. I mm-hmm. recently watched another one on Netflix, The Night Stalker, uh, and a few others that. Wait, led me was down that, that the um? I'll be gone in the dark, or I'll be gone in the night. Uh, the Night Stalker was, it's like a documentary, another kind of four or six episodes about the serial killer in Los Angeles, I think, in the 90s. Okay, I'm thinking of, there, there's another one about the the Golden State Killer or the BTK or BTS mm-hmm. something, and it's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and it's about, it's actually, it's actually a similar documentary. It's about, uh, Patton Oswalt, you know? Oh yeah. His uh, wife. Yeah. His wife yeah, was yeah. like a true crime writer. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of her research, uh, helped lead to the arrest of, uh, the murder. That that's beside the point. <laughs> I like true yeah. crime stuff. Yeah. No, I, I, I love a good documentary and, and this one's a definitely, I think, you know, you don't have to be from here, but if you're interested in in the opioid crisis and and which a lot of that is still relevant today especially i think they kind of 
you know, they mention it, how, how that abuse a lot of times leads into like heroin usage and, and things like that. And, and that's a big problem now um, in, in a lot of areas. So it's definitely not a issue that's gone away. No. Um, I think recently, especially on the more political side of things, it's it's been brought to light again. And probably a lot of reasons why this documentary came out. But, um, you know, it, it's glad it's good to see that that some people pay the price yeah. because the doctor losing her license and the pharmaceutical company. Was it Pfizer? No, that's no, the, was, the COVID vaccines. No, please. Not them, no, not them. Yeah. no, it was uh, Purdue and Purdue. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went bankrupt because of this, um, did a lot of shady shit. On top of that, because not only were they producing Oxycontin, but they also started getting into the rehabilitation side of things, too. Making that supply and, and demand. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing what they got away with for for almost a decade, I think, you and know, was, from kind of when all of this started. And, and it was all brought down by just one shellmation. <laughs> You know, putting aside the actual topic of, you know, the drug topic, what did you think of this as a documentary? I liked it. I mean, I, I, a good documentary doesn't show one side. Obviously, Dan Schneider is the focus, but they didn't shy away from his obsessive behavior and the fact that while he was going down a, a righteous path that there is a dark side to it and, and how it affects your your family and, and maybe not being, you know, you're doing all of this to handle your grieving process, uh, but what about others? And, um, you know, it, it shows the side of the DA and, and you know, yeah, some of the people that they interviewed wanted to do more and try to do more, but because of the powers that that be and, and the process that's required, just didn't make it possible. And I, I feel like that's like the number one thing that a documentary has to do. You cannot have, to me, a documentary like this that that is completely one-sided. You know, if they made Dan Schneider a... a clearly black and white in the sense of of what he was doing was was perfect and and pure good and and while it is there's other sides to it and and this documentary showed that but yeah i i you know if you want to give it a traditional rating i would say easily a a five out of five it's a solid documentary I, i mean i think it shows all sides the good and the bad and makes for good storytelling of of what happened and and you know i i say that in a more review side of things because obviously the death of his son and drug abuse and and things like that none of that's good but from a, a documentary standpoint and a storytelling standpoint and keeping your audience engaged in a documentary i think it was all really well done so I would definitely suggest it. It's hard to go back and, and watch stuff like this, but I mean, I could see myself, you know, 
maybe in a couple of years going back and then just hearing the story again. And, and from what I understand, he's still out there doing his thing and, and has a few programs. I think it was called the Tunnel of Hope, um, which is a whole nother story. But what about you? I agree with everything you said. I'm not a huge fan of documentaries, uh, or at least long documentaries, because I, like I said, I do like true crime, and I guess you would consider this almost true crime, but like most of the stuff I watch is like murders and mysteries and paranormal stuff, which you can argue is true crime or not, which is, or, which they're all kind of documentaries, so I, I don't know, but like, you know, as just a standard, you know, documentary like this, I did like it. I'm going to give it a four. It definitely, for the most part, it kept my interest. But I think a big part of that is that it was because it was only four episodes. Like if it had been like five or six more episodes, I probably, it probably would have felt like it was droning on a little bit more to me. There were definitely moments where I was engaged, where I was like interested in watching to see what happens and, you know, see the, the you know, the next step in the the case he was making. But there were other times where I was just, I, I genuinely was just kind of losing interest. You know, bo bored isn't the right word, but not as interested sometimes as I was in others. Um, I do think what he did is great. I think everything he did, you know, yes, he was very obsessive about it, but I almost feel, you know, when you're trying to solve a mystery, well, not even a mystery, like that, but trying to, you know, right a wrong like that. I think there there needs to be some kind of obsession there. You know, like I feel, you know, with like a good detective, and I say this not as an actual detective, but as someone who reads <laughs> detective stories, uh, you have to have a little bit of an obsession to yeah. really, you have yeah. to be that dog with a bone. You're not going to let it go. And that's what he did. And it came out great. You know, it, he was able to, you know, take down essentially a drug kingpin yeah i mean big, uh, big pharma yeah a big pharma almost legal drug kingpin you know i think what he did is great and i think the story it told is is very memorable you know i i mm -hmm. you know i still remember you know I, I watched and i looked at it again but i still you know from the first time i watched it, i still had everything in my head and the story of everything that happened because it, it was a very strong story but yeah, there were definitely times where I just I was losing interest and it needed to like do something to pick me up, which is like, you know, I say I like true crime, but most of my true crime stuff is like My Favorite Murder or BuzzFeed Unsolved or Bailey Sarian, where there's some kind of like comedic aspect to it. So, you know, for a documentary, I'm usually looking for something with a little more to it than, you know, just here's the here's the case. Yeah. Which this kind of was not that there, you know, weren't entertaining bits about it, just not as much as I would have liked there to, to have be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a solid four. It was it was very good. And, you know, for me, for someone who doesn't really like documentaries that much, um, you know, I, I think that says a lot if I'm giving it that high of a rating. Yeah, I was kind of worried because I was like, when I finished watching this, I was like, there's no way. I can rate this <laughs> in a traditional sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we we handled it eloquently. So yes, documentaries from here on out. 
about the most serious, <laughs> depressing things ever. I mean... Next week, Holocaust Factor Fiction. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to like and review us on your preferred podcast app. You can stay up to date by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Nola Podcast or on Twitter at Nola. Suggestions and feedback, positive or negative, can be sent to us directly at Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, shit. I, <laughs> this happens every time. I'm sorry. sorry, guys. All right. We need to Am I starting up a again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. One, two, three.